Hi, I'm Josephine Hughes. I'm the mother of two transgender daughters who came out in their teens and early 20s. I told my own stories in series one of Gloriously Unready. And in season two, I'm finding out more about transgender people's experiences. Because as I adapted to having transgender daughters, it helped me a lot to get to know transgender people. In this series, I ask, what's it like to come out as transgender to a world that is not always ready for you? And how can you ever be ready to tell the people that you love that you're not the person they think you are? Today's guest is Marley Conte, and as a trans non-binary person, they had to tell their husband and young child that they were no longer wife and mother. Marley, who is British-Italian, is a writer, has a BA in English literature, and holds a diploma in freelance and feature writing from the London School of Journalism. They share their experiences on social media as the non-binary parent and create resources for trans and non-binary parents. Let's listen to what Marley has to say. First of all, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Um, my name is Marley. I am a trans non-binary person and parent of one. I am a speaker, freelance writer, um, passionate about diversity and inclusion, and most specifically trans rights. Yeah. Brilliant. And thank you so much for, for coming on the show because it's so helpful to sort of hear different people's experiences. So um, <laughs> straight in there, but would you, would you like to tell us a bit about, I, I suppose, you know, for someone like myself, who's like a cisgender woman who hasn't had a lot of experience of transgender and non-binary, um, would you be able to tell us a bit about what being transgender non-binary actually means? Yes. So transgender, as we use it, is an umbrella term, which simply means that your assigned gender at birth does not match with your gender identity. So you have a binary section of it, which is assigned male at birth, transgender woman in reality, and assigned female at birth, and actually they are a trans man. And that's the binary, which I think is the most common one that people tend to know. And then there is the non-binary option, which is people like me who don't actually identify with either gender or maybe identify with both. Yeah. In my specific, I am actually a gender, um, which means I actually don't identify with any gender at all. Right. But you have many different ones. You have gender fluid, gender queer, neutrosis. You have demi-boy, demi-girl. There are so many under the non-binary umbrella. Yeah, it's what, what's, what speaks to you. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting, you know, having you on the show because you came out a bit later than, say, say my daughters did, who were yeah. sort of in their teens and, and early 20s, because you came out in your 30s, didn't you? Yes, yeah. I was 35. And um, I always like to say that I didn't come out late. I come out later, yeah. exactly where I needed to come out. Yeah. Um, I just don't think I was ready before. I come from a very, I'm Italian. I come from a very conservative country, um, not particularly open-minded when it comes to queer issues. I didn't have a language that could express what I was feeling. Italian is a very gendered language. You, you don't have a way to escape the binary. And uh, so it took me a while to figure it out. COVID was a big help for me because it allowed me to be at home 
and kind of really explore my identity just with my family without having to project myself outside of the house. Um, so I was kind of like starting to wear clothes that I felt were more in line with my identity. I started using a language that was more appropriate for me and, and it really, really helped me to, to kind of like settle into who I knew I was, but I couldn't actually express with, yeah. with words. So, yes. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we were married. We had a kid already. It was kind of trying to figure out how our relationship could evolve. And yeah. It was, uh, was an interesting time. I, I, a, I'm fascinated by what you say about Italian and it being a very gendered mm-hmm. language. I'm not a linguist. If you think anything has a gender in Italian, even like the word desk, the word yeah. chair, the yeah. word table, everything has a language. So there is no way of escaping it in, yeah. in any way. Yeah. So did it help you to be in the UK? Did having it, the language definitely helps. I find yeah. myself I'm at ease when, when we speak English because yeah. there is not a constant gendering. Um, with Italian, I'm finding it a little harder, but they are finding ways around it. And it's, it's a question of adaptability. That's what I love about languages. They're not fixed. Mm-hmm. They keep changing. They keep evolving. And, and Italian is doing that very slowly. Mm-hmm. But in the queer community, they are finding ways of, of doing that. And, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's getting there, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. Really, it's, it, it, I'd never really sort of thought about that I know, language. right? It's, it's one of those that, oh, yeah. they don't think of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and also because I think there's that, certainly sort of speaking to other transgender people who've come out, is they had a feeling that, that they couldn't put a name to yeah. and that language is an important part of that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we express everything through language. So if you don't have the words, yeah. it's really hard to even figure yourself out. Yeah. And when you don't see, especially in non-binary and trans identity, you have a real lack of representation. Mm-hmm. So when you don't even see them and you don't have a language, it becomes very difficult to, to understand what you're yeah. going through. Yeah. There's, there's sort of no way to symbolize your experiences mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So for you, was it sort of like you never really felt like you fitted somehow was what's what was the sort of feeling that you know enables you to sort of come to this it um... felt dif- I felt different I, mm. I couldn't figure it out and there was that innate homophobia and transphobia and all of that that comes with it from from growing up you know it's, it's a very religious country there is a real mindset of this is what a girl should be and this is what a boy should be and there is yeah. no escaping it and that, that those are your roles and that's all you do so it, it was really hard because I never kind of felt like I fitted in and I actually went the other way if you could see myself when I was younger there was this big push to almost be really really femme so that I couldn't get cut out yeah. so it was the dresses the makeup the lipstick the, the shoes everything so that if you saw me, you would think that that's what it should be and that's how things should be. And so I I was hyper-feminizing everything, but I couldn't feel right. And pregnancy was a big push. My body was doing something so femme, let's say, that I couldn't escape it. And it just wasn't feeling like me. And once you are the birthing parent... There is only one way you're going to be referred to it for the rest of your life. And that is a very specific gender role that you're never going to get rid of again. Yeah. And you're kind of even boxed in even more. So it was really hard 
Mm. And, and, and as I said, I didn't have a language. I couldn't understand because I knew I wasn't a boy. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't a girl. Yeah. But I didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So um, you didn't identify with, with either gender? No. It just didn't, neither I, of them felt I'm right. always more attuned to, let's call it masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, like I always rather be misgender with a he than a she. But it's still not right. It's just better. It's mm-hmm. not what fits. Yeah. Just sort of winding back, so I'm putting myself in your shoes and imagining what it must have been like to have been pregnant. You know, your whole body changing and Yeah. Everything just felt wrong in a way. Not yeah. not the baby, obviously. Yeah. That was very much wanted and yeah. it was, you know, but everything that my body was doing was just uh, I can't I can't deal with this. Growing up as well to try and minimize the curves and everything. I have a big history with eating disorders because the smaller you are, the less you have curves. Yeah. So when pregnancy hit, was um, there's no control in this. Yeah. There is no, there is no escaping this. This is just my body is just doing whatever it wants to do. And you don't, unfortunately, we don't have a system that is set up for non-binary and transparency. Again, there is no language that is used that is actually affirming to yeah. a parent that is going through something like that. You're always misgendered most of the time. Yeah. You're always called mother. Yeah. It, it sort of sounds almost like a disconnect between your body and your what was going on in your mind. Yeah. You know, almost like, not quite an out-of-body experience, but it's those sort it of... Almost. Like, yeah, sort of massive disconnect. How did that affect your, your sort of mental health, do you think? Did you find... Um, my mental health wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and it, it not, was not great for a few years after that. Um, there was a lot going on. My, my father, unfortunately, was also passing away at the mm-hmm. time that I was pregnant. So there was that yeah. added to it. But my mental health was not great. It wasn't postnatal depression, thankfully, because I don't think that's where my brain was going. Mm-hmm. But it was more kind of like... I don't understand what's going on with my body and this is not what my body should be doing. There was a lot of going back to bad heating habits again and trying to to really like push my body into something that I could recognise yeah. and, and could function with. Yeah. And yeah, and once you're once you're a parent you kind of then put yourself second anyway. Yeah. So my mental health suffered a bit through that. Yeah. It was really lonely for a while because you don't have places for you. Yeah. You know, it's all mother and baby. There is that, you know, you're pushed into almost this gender binary. It you? is. is you push into a role. I always say it's probably also the only part of life where men are excluded from mm-hmm. as well. And when all you need at that time is actually create a new connection and get out of the house and, and don't be completely absorbed by this role everything if you're non-binary everything is mother and babies uh, mother's groups mum's coffee morning and you feel even more outcast yeah really excluded Mm. yeah because there's no place for you and you know you're going to be misgendered and you know you're going to be called mum and you know you're going to be called ladies and that lovely term that midwives use oh my god oh that one really (laughs) gets to me it's just oh my god yeah <laughs> it's old-fashioned anyway isn't mm-hmm. it but uh, yeah so uh, uh, you've, you've got your your child 
And you've talked about um, being a non-binary parent as well, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you talk a lot about this, don't you, on, on Instagram? I am very passionate about yeah. creating resources for yeah. other parents like me because yeah. there are many. When I started trying to find resources to how to explain my kid, my kid was four at the time, so I wanted to try and find the language that I could use that was easily accessible for kids as well. And the moment you Google and you put the words trans parent or non-binary parent next to it, what comes up is often the kid, which mm-hmm. is great because we need all the resources in the world to help trans youth and non-binary youth to be happy and accepted and all of that. But there is also quite a big chunk of us on the other side that need resources yeah. to, to navigate our yeah. journey and how to make it easy on our kids and our spouses and yeah. because they're going through it with us and they need to have help to understand mm-hmm. it themselves, yeah. you know. It, we all going through it together and uh, we all want acceptance and we all want love, but it is a journey for, for our partners and children too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what I try to do. I try to see what work with my family and how to you know, help other people with, Mm -hmm. if they have questions, if they, oh, how did you talk about this with your kid? And, oh, this is what I did. Yeah. And this is what worked. And maybe I would do it this way next time. Yeah. So how has um, your child adapted to having a non-binary parent? I think children are so much easier than adults (laughs) to talk to (laughs) because they have no biases. You know, they're born with no biases. And if you are lucky that you raise them in an environment that is, open and honest and, and and diverse, they will grow up with a lot less biases than we do. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy for them to understand. Um, with, with A, we sat down and, and as I said, my kid was four. A is the only person who's allowed to refer to me as mum. Yeah. Because it was a word that we already used. She was comfortable with it. There was no gender attached to it. So we carried on using that, but only with my kid, everyone yeah. else's parents. So when we sat down, I was like, you know, mommy would like to start maybe change their name and maybe change some of the words that we use when we talk about mommy because I don't feel like a boy or a girl. And she looked at me and was like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. And sometimes, you know, it's a conversation that keeps on going. She's now seven. And every once in a while you have that. So why don't you feel like a boy or a girl? Yeah. And you just carry on talking. I think it's a conversation that keeps on going and and he expands as they grow. But I think as long as you're honest and Mm. open and if you don't know something, you simply say, I don't know. Let's look into it together. We ended up, every time we have a question like that, it's like, shall we see if we can find a book? And we find a book and we read it together and we explore it together. And, and that really helps getting the conversation across because it's something that they really understand is mm-hmm. books and pictures and, yeah. and words that are great for her age. Mm-hmm. But we often have conversation about pronouns and, and you know, and what pron- I often ask is this a word that you're, you're, makes you happy? And, you know, more often than not, she's like, yeah, I like the word she. Girl is good. But I do often ask her because she might change her mind. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I guess it's that, like your whole way that you parent 
your child yeah. is much more not trying to funnel her into being a particular... No, we, we try from activities to words to, to talking about people from books. We do try to be as inclusive as we possibly can, mm-hmm. um, especially like with, we really try to, to push the, the concept of don't make assumption because mm-hmm. you have no idea. And she's got so good that <laughs> recently, not long ago, we were coming home from school and it's a really narrow lane. We were driving back. So I pulled myself to the side to let another car go by. And they asked, oh, why did you stop? And I said, oh, I'm just going to let her go. And she looked at me and said, well, you don't know he's a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, absolutely. You are right. And you just called me out and it's great. Um, but I think, and that, that's what it is. It's just they pick up what they see and they hear yeah. around. So if you diversify your libraries, your cartoons, your toys, uh, the activities they do, if you use a gender-inclusive language, they pick it up mm-hmm. and they find it much easier to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a is often the one that corrects people on my pronouns. Is often the one that if we go to Pride... Last year we went to Pride in Hastings with some friends and I turned around and said, look, this is Pride. And she turns around and said, well, Pride is every day. <laughs> But they do, they pick yeah. it up and yeah. they're so much better at dealing with this than yeah. adults are. Yeah, yeah. And they've got yeah. that modelling that, that you're yeah. giving them. Because I know you said that you think being non-binary has made you a better parent. Mm. Can you For tell sure. us a bit about why, why you think that is? I just think, you know, if you, once you're a parent, all you want is for your child to be healthy, happy and kind. I think yeah. those are the three main things that every yeah. parent wants from, from their children. And I think if you raise them in a household where you know they are loved for just being them, there is no question of sexuality or gender or anything else, they grow up that one, knowing that one day, if they ever need to come out, they won't even need to do that. They will just show up at the door and just say, from now, can we use these pronouns? Or mm-hmm. this is my partner. Because there is acceptance yeah, and, yeah. and there is love and there is no questioning that love. Um, and I think by trying to have these conversations, you open their, their, their mind to be accepting of everyone. Yeah. So even if they're not queer themselves, which, you know, we don't know, but even if they're not, you bring them up as ally to other people you bring yeah. them up able to speak for other people if they hear something wrong and question what they've been told you know society tells them to do and it's like wait a second that that's not right mm-hmm. so i think you're just growing a, a generation that is far more empowered th- yeah. than we are yeah. and you're also not passing down your trauma as much you know yeah, yeah. the old generational trauma that at some point you know we are trying to stop by having conversations and, and you know, I, I'm always I'm a big advocate for therapy and I tell my kid all the time, you know, I like, oh no, mommy goes to therapy because sometimes you need to talk about things mm-hmm. with people that are not your nearest and dearest. You need different perspective. And I often say, you know, and if you need to, you know, you can have it too when when you need to, when you need to talk to someone that might not be me or daddy. I I sort of get the idea that she's actually going to be like you say, quite whatever way she ends up with her own gender and sexuality, she will be a, a strong ally and very much um, supportive. She is my biggest ally. Like, yeah. 
we all go through phases where you're extremely happy or sad at all. A is always the first that would go, you know, it's okay, mommy. We're, we're good, you know, we're okay. We love each other. And it, and she corrects people on my pronouns. She corrects people on my name. You know, she often says people, my mommy is a they, is not a she. She's seven. So she, it can only get better, you know. <laughs> to tell me a bit more about your experience bringing up a child in Britain compared to what it was like growing up as a child in Italy. I think it used to be very different. Mm-hmm. Politically wise, trans people have been used as a weapon to, to sway voting and to sway opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, I don't think at the moment um, we're in a very good place because yeah. I don't want what they're doing with my identity to reflect on my child's life. But at the same time, you know, I preach being honest and open and we, we have to have this conversation. So we, we do talk. Yeah, because I think I just want to come pick up on something you said. And I think people often don't realise that this is really what transgender people are actually facing, that sense of existential threat. This anti-trans rhetoric, this anti LGBTQ rhetoric lately that's just gone, you know, mm. if you look at statistics, I believe is crimes against yeah. LGBTQ people have risen of 348% in the last six years, which yeah. is an insane percentage. Yeah. But when all you hear are the same old stories and scaremongering and, and you know, and rhetoric, it, it's hard to escape it. There are days that I can't even look at the news because it's like I can't, my mental health is nowhere near a good state to actually look at the news today because I don't know what's going to, what's going to be out there. It's usually nothing good anyway. And I think, you know, this is really a plea for people to be active allies, isn't it? That, you know, the transgender community is actually a very small community. We are such a tiny number. I don't understand how we have become such a... (laughs) a <laughs> big issue you know for for the world is like we are such a tiny number and we always been here yeah yeah but it's, often it's 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 been sort of like not being able to have like we said earlier the language and so i mm-hmm. think people are now finding out more because we're talking about it more and i think social media helped me find the language because i didn't know and it's only because i came across other social media accounts and things that i was like oh wait a second this is this is familiar. This is helpful. Yeah. What is it? And then you start. Yeah. You know. And and it's. I think the thing is, is people sort of assume that, you know, somehow your head's being turned by what you're reading on social media, and it's. But then we should all be cis and straight. Yeah. If it's, that's the argument yeah. that we can turn someone into someone, considering what we all grow up with, the the cartoons, the programs, the books, everything that we absorb we should all be cis and straight because all yeah. you see is heteronormative families. Yeah. It's people of a certain colour. It's people of certain genders. Yeah. And so, you know, it can't work only one way. I, I think the thing is just sort of listening to people. It's more that when you come across social media, you sort of recognise yourself in what's being said, don't you? And you think, mm-hmm. oh... It, it's you know, that light bulb is... moment of, oh, yeah. I found it. This yeah. is me. And that's why visibility representation is so important because if you don't see it you can't be it you know yeah you can't put it into words and you can't can't be yourself um the other thing that's sort of really um interesting to hear about is do you think that as a result of you know being more fully yourself 
do you feel better and happier in being Mali? I didn't know it could feel this way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that moment of this is what you all feel all the time. <laughs> this, is how it, this is how it is. This is yeah. how it's meant to, especially after I had top surgery, especially after that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And when people say, oh, how does it feel? And it always, I, my answer is, is like, this is what, when people look at themselves and see themselves for the first time must feel. I, I, I had no idea. And it's hard in a way, because unfortunately, as we said, we live in a society where we're not understood or respected. But I'd rather this a million times yeah. over. My mind was taking me in really, really dark places before. Yeah, yeah. And, and now is it's good. Yeah. You know? I still have my, my, like anyone, your bad and happy days, but yeah. this, is, this is so much better. So much better, yeah. yeah. I just think that's a really interesting... Um, Oh, this is, this is, this is almost like yeah. this is the way I'm supposed to feel. You know, I didn't know yeah. that you could have these feelings. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit more, if, if you're okay, because yeah. you chose to have top surgery. Yes. And, and I think a lot of people would think, oh, that's something that trans men would do. I think because it's such a feminine part of a body that when you don't identify as either or is like is a constant reminder in your face it's always there you can't escape it and the yeah. clothes don't fit that way that you want you see them in your head and and you're always hunching and you know buggy things and like binding yeah it was no other way for me that was a big part of my eating disorders growing up it was if I am as small as I can they it won't grow as yeah. much and it would be people won't notice as much and I won't be misgendered as much yeah. I am not on tea I don't want any other surgeries I don't want to transition medically any any further mm-hmm. but that for me was a big thing it was like it was yeah it gave yeah. me the body that that match my my identity I guess yeah. my gender identity yeah yeah and not, you know, and I think that's a big misconception when people think of surgery as a binary option anyway. But also not all trans people want surgery. Mm-hmm. Not all non-binary people feel dysphoric and want surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is as everything is a spectrum yeah. and what works for me does not work for another non-binary person and etc, etc. Yeah. I just sort of wondered what it was like for you as a, as a couple with, you know, your husband sort of married someone who he would have perceived as being a woman. You know what? I I really got lucky. I really got lucky because uh, unfortunately this is not an experience that many trans or queer people have anyway when they when they have a partner and then they come out. But I already came out to my partner as bisexual and grey sexual. And when actually when I told him, he looked at me, I was like, well, there's nothing new there. Like I knew, (laughs) you know, it's uh, it's just means that I'm a little queer too, because you're not a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, I I got really lucky. But we did have to work on how to reframe a lot of our roles and a lot of our language in our partnership. We, you know, how do I want to be referred as, you know, you know, my wife. So what do I call you? Spouse, partner other mm-hmm. half yeah we we had to reframe a lot of our marriage and how we parent and it gave I think in a way me he actually brought us closer yeah, because we had to lay everything out yeah we couldn't yeah. keep anything in anymore if we wanted it to work we had to have discussion about everything yeah 
and actually I think it made us a lot stronger yeah. because there was like yeah. you lay all out on the table and there were really good days and really bad days but when we came out on the other end it was this is it this we good yeah you know that you truly love each other for who you are, don't mm-hmm. you? It's, it's not yeah. in a sense what you represent or yeah. what you And he has become such an advocate for, for trans rights and, mm. and non-binary rights. Is, yeah. um, he came out for me to most of our families, his and mine. Yeah, so he, he actually because, told them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told my mother because yeah. I couldn't face confrontation. He said, I'll do it. And then I'll take the brunt of it. And, and then we can discuss it after. Whatever happens we'll discuss it afterwards and yeah. it will be fine. Yeah. Um, and he's become an advocate for, for everything. I My favourite is when I was going through throat surgery and, and it's a long process. We were lucky enough that we were able to do privately, but it still takes about a year at least. Yeah. And the first question everyone would ask him was like, oh, what do you think? Yeah. And, <laughs> and his immediate reaction was like, it's their body. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know got nothing to say it's their body I yeah. I got I have no say in this yeah and yeah so it took a lot of the fight on him I'm very grateful because at times I don't know if my mental health would have managed he's my yeah. big he's a, such an advocate and is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be very nosy here because I could imagine that if it was my mother and my other half you know t- told her something yeah. she might be very polite to him <laughs> Um, she'd take me to one side and wouldn't be quite so nice <laughs> my my mother and I don't have the best uh relationship in general anyway I think it got better once I moved away and yeah. we see each other in very small pockets of time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two three times a year a couple of weeks fine perfect yeah. Yeah. I think that's how we we cope better yeah. so it was actually probably worked out better for us that he had the conversation yeah and it was on our term because we were here. And I wanted it to be here because I wanted it to be, if anything goes wrong, this is my house. Yeah. And that is the door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that had a lot of pull on how the conversation went. Yeah. Because yeah. she couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that really helped. But also Italians tend, I, and my family in particular is like, I know about it, but we won't discuss it, so it's not happening. So we had one conversation, and, and never again. Yeah. I had surgery, and it's like nothing happened. It's really? okay, yeah. I feel like, you know, it's the all, well, let's not talk about it, and everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which suits me in a way, because it's, um, I don't live there. Yeah. I don't see them often, and um, I don't have to argue about it. Yeah. And how about, you know, your husband's um, family as well? Pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're, it's easier with them in a way because they're half English. Mm-hmm. So the language barrier is a lot less. They're, they're really good with the name. But again, we don't really discuss it. It's happened and we got on board with pronouns and name and we just don't not going to look into it anymore. In a way, it's better because there's no misgendering because yeah. of the pronouns, mm-hmm. because we use they, and it's great. With my family, there is the awkwardness of, oh, that's a female word, but it's okay. Yeah. We'll deal with this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A sort of state of um, truce, in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And we do, you know, every once in a while I do send an article, go, oh, I think you should read this, or mm-hmm. I think you should watch this. Mm-hmm. And if they do or they don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been really so interesting and enlightening to, to listen to what you've, thank you've, you. you're sharing your experience. And um, certainly made me think, because I, I think the other thing I sort of, I think people aren't aware of is actually across the sort of transgender spectrum, I, I guess people don't know that actually non-binary is the biggest representation of, of transgender people, mm-hmm. isn't it? I almost feel like I picked all the middle grounds um, in all my LGBTQ letters. Um, that unfortunately, like many, you know, like bisexuality and, and gray sexuality and, and non-binary, you are so in the middle sometimes that you kind of get flack from both sides <laughs> because you are not queer enough but you're not cis enough or yeah. straight enough. Or yeah. Sometimes you're battling both fronts and it, yeah. it can be really tiring and frustrating. Yeah. But when yeah. you look at it, bisexual people are the highest numbers. It was people's, it's still people's sort of binary thinking, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. just coming out in, mm-hmm. in another way. And my really. favourite is when people look at me, it's like, oh, but you can't be bi, you're married to a man. And it's like, but <laughs> when you marry someone, you stop finding other people attractive? Is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> <You don't... laughs> yeah. It's just this sort of way people want to sort of put other people in boxes, really. It's isn't it? easier yeah. if you're in a box because I can make out what you are. It's difficult when you're out of the box because I don't know this and not knowing is scary. The more people get to know us, the more accepting they are. You know, mm. I was looking at some stats lately about, I believe it's up to 84% of people in America do not know a trans person. Yeah. When you don't know us, you can't understand us. Yeah. But you see the acceptance of our trans people is proportionate to knowing them. Mm-hmm. The moment a person knows another person, then it's like you humanize us. Absolutely. We're not a thing anymore. We're actually a human being with yeah. feelings and, and experiences. Yeah. And yeah, it, I, I just think that's so so true and it's why I wanted to do this particular series because when my kids came out I didn't know any transgender people and actually getting to know transgender people was hugely reassuring because <laughs> like you say they're and people <laughs> I, I also think that is this um, image of us because of the media representation yeah. and, and all of that that we have really horrible lives mm-hmm. that are intrinsic of trauma and and pain but actually we have really joyful life as well. I yeah. mean, I I love being trans. I love being non-binary. Yeah. And, and we can have very fulfilling, happy lives. And I think it should be more representation of that. Also for our trans youth, you know, see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that it yeah. can happen and it's yeah. happy. You strip away all those assumptions, you know, like you were saying in your relationship with your husband. You know, you, you had to really get down to to actually what's really important and that was your relationship which I would recommend together. for any relationship regardless yeah. of gender it's like that was really really yeah beneficial to our marriage yeah you know? I think so and I think you know this is my experience with having transgender kids is that actually you just get rid of all this sort of stuff that actually isn't as important mm-hmm. as your true connection and relationship with each mm-hmm. other and love for each other and the rest yeah. of it is the word, the phrase that comes to mind is the bonfire of the vanities. It's it's just getting rid of that. 
that stuff that doesn't matter for sure. because it's more important actually your connection at a deeper level yeah and I, and I think that's part of what makes people who are transgender they have to go through that sort of difficulty but when they resolve these things with the people who love them it actually is very fulfilling I love being out I love being trans I love mm-hmm. I love my labels yeah. so much yeah well, it yeah. makes it easier to be you, doesn't it? The, the true yes. you. And I do agree that ideally we should live in a world with no labels, but I like mine and I am keeping them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not giving them up anytime soon. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Marley. How do people find you if they want to? Um, I am mostly on Instagram under the non-binary parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I do most of my non-binary parenting education uh, I'm also a speaker and freelance writer Con- and so you can find me on LinkedIn under my name and surname so Mali Conte and, mm-hmm. and that's where I am mm-hmm. so yeah yeah well, brilliant well thank you so much for coming it's been my such an interesting conversation and to you. hear your you know sort of like your yeah. perspective and what it's like to be Italian and you know anytime I'm so grateful to to be on so yeah, thank you thank you Mali The Guardian review of the first series of Gloriously Unready said Hughes is brutally honest. So brace yourself, here comes some of that honesty. One of the tasks of counselling is exploring with the client their reasons for feeling as they do. And so, during Marley's description of how their body didn't feel right both during pregnancy and puberty, what was coming up for me was the gender-critical argument that transgender feelings are due to a lack of acceptance of a changing body. And that's often used as an explanation for eating disorders too. So this got me thinking, how many times are girls' feelings towards their bodies pathologised? Could an explanation for their discomfort with their changing bodies be that they are transgender? Is this ever considered when treating someone for disordered eating? When you listen to Marley, you hear someone who is comfortable with who they are. Their main source of stress is not who they are, but how they are treated by a society that is unwilling to listen to their experience. It seems to me that non-binary people and trans men often have their views and feelings disregarded in what is the antithesis of feminism. They're told they're mistaken, they don't know themselves, quite simply that they're wrong. And hasn't that ever been so for those who are assigned female at birth? And I talk more about this with Sam Hope, whose interview is coming up next. 